This is Stacey Bressler from uh, Archer Energy Solutions with another episode of Direct Connect, and I'm here with uh, Mr. Steve Parker and uh, Mr. Nick Weber. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that comes up all the time when we're talking to utilities and different people within the organizations is, uh, you know, why do the auditors need so much evidence during the audits, uh, even in the self-certification processes? Why do they need so much stuff? Uh, can't we just sit down and talk to them and tell them what's going on? Um, wouldn't that be novel, huh? Uh, so I, I'll kind of set the stage here and, and, and ask each of you a few questions. But, uh, um, you know, evidence artifacts is is baked into the overall process. But why? Why why do we have to do that And, and from a high-level perspective? Uh, let's start with you, Steve. Well, thank you, Stacey, for that. And um, I was kind of reaching for a prop. I don't, I don't have it though. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring up the, the GAGAS. So, um, if people aren't familiar with that acronym, it's the Generally Accepted Government Auditing Standards. Um, sometimes referred to as the Yellow Book because they're printed in the print form there in a book with a yellow cover. And unfortunately, I don't have a physical copy of it. I can't hold it up as a as a, as a prop. But that's a standard that auditors use and NERC use in the regions use this standard as well to conduct their audits. So when it comes to the word evidence, the word evidence is used 242 times in the auditing standards. Mm. So I guess the short answer is um, they ask for that much evidence because they have to, because they have to comply with their own standard, much as the way entities have to comply with their standard. Um, so there, are we done now? Or do we need to talk more? <laughs> that's it. Uh, I guess uh, <laughs> that's all we had there. Uh, I, I, no, you're right. I mean, the I mean the the word evidence is used everywhere. Um, and if you look at uh, even uh, you know, let's just take NERC, and we could look at TSA as well, where they they describe performance evidence to to a, a, a bit. Um, but it is a bit nebulous, and especially if you're working in a utility and you're, you're an operations guy, you're sitting in a control center, um, sometimes this doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, um, so I'd like to dive in a little bit about, um, you know, what are the auditors looking for? Why, why do they need this performance evidence? And, and, and sometimes, you know, you give them a log, right? Here's our log file. Here it is. And they ask for more. You know, what's that about? Um, Nick, you want to try to address that? Yeah, part of it is the... You hear the term stacking evidence, um, especially when you get into the performance audits. It's one of the things that, that Gagus, I always pronounce it with the gag, so you, you get on the front end because that's what you do when you read it. Um, the difference between a performance audit and a finance audit is the, the more nebulous requirements. For financials, it's one plus one is always two. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the federal government, they, they'll admit that part. Um, but when you start getting the performance-based ones where the objectives aren't as clear, it takes a lot more evidence to really understand what's what's happening, um, what the outcome of those processes, procedures are. So that's why a lot of times it feels like there's a lot more required or requested than you think you should have to provide because it's somebody who doesn't live this every day. They, they've got to walk away with reasonable assurance. So the average person would agree that, that things are being done appropriately or correctly. That's a term we hear a lot is that reasonable assurance. And uh, I've been asked many times, what, what is reasonable insurance? And my answer to that is it depends on the auditor um, because that's who you're trying to satisfy. 
um, that particular auditor should have the skills and knowledge of what they're auditing, but um, it's up to them to get that feel for reasonableness. And if it has to be two or three different documents, it's going to be two or three different documents. And that leads me to the next part is, is it always a document that's evidence? I would say it, it absolutely isn't. Documents are the best kind um, or screen captures or, or those pieces. But um, kind of that reasonable assurance piece got me thinking what makes it harder to reach reasonable assurance. And a lot of times it's things like body language and offhand comments, something somebody not involved in the audit says when they're walking down the hall. So evidence cuts both ways and it you can't always control it. Could evidence be a, a show and tell? I think sometimes it is. Um, it, it, I hate to say it, but it, it depends on what, what is it. Is it something that where you really have to go above and beyond to explain a process? Then it certainly can be, but it may not get you where you think you need to be. It may end up requiring more evidence because they want to see the outputs of whatever you just of your show and tell process was. Now, a, a, a lot of times what I see is... Um, you get into a sticky point where you have a procedure that was written. The auditors read this procedure and there's a, a particular step that says, you know, the utility does this thing that is difficult um, to demonstrate that it was done because um, the procedure doesn't have that output element to it. It doesn't have that, that control that said in the procedure, now that you've done the work, document that you did the work. And in those cases, that becomes a challenge for the auditors. We're not saying you're not doing the work, but we're going to have to ask more difficult questions um, and, and likely you know, lead us down a path of, of doing more stacking, which could include, all right, um, show me something. If it's in a tool, for example, uh, you might be able to demonstrate in a, a workflow tool that you're using and, and show them the process by which it was uh, accomplished. Um, but there's, there, there are all kinds of unique circumstances that come up. Um, Steve, what would you do if you were the auditor and, uh, you were presented, the um, a situation where you've collected one or two different documents, um, and none of them really are giving you that comfort that performance has been done. You're feeling pretty good that they know what to do, but you haven't yet seen that they're actually doing it. Um, but they can't, they don't seem to be able to be able to provide you that evidence artifact. What, what kind of thing might you be able to offer them, uh, in order to get to where they need to be? Well, and, and that can be a challenge, you know, and the challenge when you're doing a performance audit and you're looking back in time to see whether something was done or was performed, if you're not capturing, you know, you mentioned having the process uh, that has an output. If if evidence is not being captured, it can be very difficult to go back in time. Um, you can't create evidence retroactively, right? Um, so, you know, ultimately they have, they have to show that the, that the work was done. Um, the process is some evidence. Uh, talking and interviewing folks and saying, "Hey, did you do this?" is, is some evidence. But ultimately, you're looking for some sort of an artifact, and sometimes you have to get creative. You know, if, if you're working with an entity and they don't they don't have anything that they've officially captured, um, you can go back and say, well, was there maybe an email? Was there a work ticket? Um, how do you know? How does somebody know the work was done along the way? Um, and, and try to find something that might have been captured, uh, even a system log. You know, something like revocation of access. If someone says, hey, we're not you know, recording that, well, maybe there's a system log that they can go back to and say, oh, 
we have the Active Directory logs that shows where that deletion occurred, um, if they have those. So, um, you know, if they haven't collected that along the way, you got to get creative. And sometimes you can't find things. Um, that's why it's very important to capture as much as possible up front. That leads me to something we were kind of just chatting about as we were leading up to this this uh, episode uh, of Direct Connect. We were, I think it was you, Steve, that said, um, you know. Why, why would we think it's too much evidence? Maybe there should be more evidence being uh, required, uh, it, especially when we look at the, the existing regula- regulations and uh, operations and, and, and critical infrastructure. Uh, they're pretty light um, overall. So maybe there should be an expectation of more evidence than less. And I'm not sure what exactly your thought process was on that. Well, I mean, I was being made perhaps a little bit sarcastic in, in there, but there, there's an element of well, truth Steve, in that. sarcastic? <laughs> oh, I know. Imagine that. But, you know, NERC in the regions, they use the sampling process. And so in a, in a large population, if you have a thousand devices that are in scope, they may, may only look at 33 of those devices. And so I think there is an element of, well, you know, they ask for a lot, I, I guess the, the, you know, the depth of what they ask for can be a lot, but the breath maybe is a little bit, a little bit limited. So yeah, you could, you could ask that question and say, you know, why are they only looking at a small, a small portion of the, of the devices or the, the people? And, you know, the, the point there is they're looking for, um, you know, trying to get a sense that you have that process that's being performed for some, and then they extrapolate that out. So if you're doing it for, for 33, they extrapolate that and say, well, it appears you're doing it for all one, all 1000. And there's a chance they can miss, a defect or a glitch that occurred. That's the risk that they take in doing an audit. But, um, you know, be thankful that they're not asking for all your evidence across every occurrence during, during the audit period. Um, I think that was the point I was trying to make. It could be worse. You know, one of the things that, uh, um, I always think about when I'm looking at the, an audit, it's, you know, it's not just only the, the different auditors that have different perspective and different lenses that they're looking at, but it's also, is it an audit? Is it a self-certification? Is it an investigation? Um, as you go down the path, and you, if you got into an investigation, your amount of evidence are just skyrocketed. Um, and, uh, you know, that could be all, right? At that point, you're no longer being audited. You're now being investigated. So the amount of evidence that you have to generate could be significantly more. Um, so that the type of review or assessment that's being performed matters as well. Um, and, and, and it also, you know, these are supposed to be risk-based and I think risk-based might play a big factor into who you are, you know, what's, what's your rap sheet. Um, if you've been known to self-report on everything, cause you're just not getting it right. Well, you might need to provide more evidence during audit. Um, I don't know. Uh, have you seen that in, in real life, Nick, at all, in, in any recent audits you've been involved in? Oh, I can think back to when I was an auditor, even before risk-based was the, the buzzword we were going with. It still was risk-based because that reasonable assurance goes back into it. And that kind of to your point earlier that it depends on the auditor. It also depends on what they heard, what they saw. Um, sometimes a lot of self-reports means they're lower risk. Other times it means it's higher risk because either they're not getting it right or they just don't understand. So even if you have a lot of self-reports that are getting dismissed, that can start to tell the region or the audit team they really don't know what's expected, and they just throw everything under at the wall to see what sticks. So yeah, that, that risk factor absolutely comes into how much evidence is required. 
um, somewhere that the auditors have seen a handful of times and they, they go to their, their sampling, which isn't really a strong statistical sample, which is also kind of back to the earlier point, one of the places where it could be worse, but they, they see everything going right, then they're going to retail a little bit quicker. So it's a lower risk. That's really what it comes back to is the reasonable assurance could be called risk. They're almost interchangeable in a lot of cases. They're definitely inform one another. Absolutely. And, and another thing I've noted over the years is that, um, you know, the auditors are supposed to be independent. And, and for the most part, they, they are. Um, but there is influencers. Uh, you cannot disregard the fact that FERC might have a beef with your organization. And that could lead down and trickle down to the auditor. Well, this is a high-risk company. Uh, you need to dig a little deeper, and, and that can play into the that 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 element. And, and if they get that feeling, if the auditors get that feeling, it's just natural that they're going to be more. Um, they're not going to believe you as much. They are going to want to see more. Um, of course, they always say, and you hear this every audit, um, and you'll hear this probably forever, is that we're here to find compliance. Um, and work with you to find that compliance. Um, but it is the utilities, um, it's their responsibility to demonstrate compliance. And uh, at, at some point, if there's a bad rap, uh, you're going to get less of that cooperation to help find uh, the, the discovery of nothing um, or less than perfect is going to play into that, that factor. And that's what auditors do. They make judgment calls in the field. And... Um, that's why you got to feed them right. You got to treat them nice. You got to yeah. pat the auditors on the back a lot. <laughs> well, it's important um, to remember they're humans. They still they, they have are. the same biases and decision making heuristics that all the rest of us do. Mm -hmm. So if they they go in assuming that because of previous experience, your utility, even if it was before you were there, has a, a bad rap or did something they shouldn't have, you got to overcome that. It takes a while. I'd say two three audit cycles, so decade at times easily easily but that, they, that they plays into auditors too yeah a few different auditors and and that can mix things up too that always causes a lot of um you know auditor turnover in the regions can can play a big factor in into you know what your next audit's going to look like but in any event evidence artifacts performance evidence you could nail it on the first piece and it might take two or three documents might take a show and tell might take some extra interviews in order to get that particular auditor or those group of auditors to a comfort zone. That's re that's where reasonable assurance is. It's comfort. Because I think, I don't know if everyone knows, but the auditors are under scrutiny too. They, they have to be able to defend their position. Um, if they say we've seen not enough here or we didn't, or we saw something that is, um, you know, meets the level of potential violation, we have to be able to defend ourselves, so we're cautious on that. Um, and, and remember, these auditors, they have another look later on. We are potential violations, not actual violations. Um, and I'm not sure the industry's got that yet. Uh, I know that word is still a, a very negative word within uh, utilities. Uh, it, it probably has merit to be able to be net recognized as a, a potential problem, but potential is such a big word. I, I hope if any executives are listening right now, potential, it doesn't mean the end of the world. Uh, you have opportunity still. So I got a, a question that just popped into mind as you were talking through some of that. Um, 
back when I was at the utility and was involved in the WICAF, the Western Interconnection Compliance Forum, one of the things after every audit that was always a discussion point was how many DRs or data requests the utility had, which to me just baffled me because there's so little of that the utility has control over. Have either one of you seen that or seen that actually drive anything other than just how much work you had to do? I, I, I've, I've heard that same thing. And I, and I think the thought, the thought process is if you are really good at preparing your evidence and packaging it well, you'll anticipate and answer all the questions ahead of time and the auditors won't have to ask you for more information. So there, there might be a, a kernel of truth in there. Um, the problem is that sometimes auditors will package uh, multiple questions in a single data request. Um, sometimes they'll break them out into separate data requests. Um, and some auditors are just more inquisitive than others, or some auditors will, will ask the questions that they already know just to see how you respond. So I, I don't think it's a very good metric, although I understand it's, why, why it's used. And, and I don't find it a good metric at all, because um, another part of that is what's in scope for your audit. Um, is it all the standards and requirements, or is it just a, a small subset? And if it's a small subset, they may have a lot more time, the auditors, to dig into that particular set of, of requirements, and sometimes that spawns a lot more DRs or, or RFIs. I know that was a, a thing for the utility I was at when I first got there. We were getting ready, starting to prepare for an audit, and they were bragging about how few DRs they had, and I just laughed. I said, the reason you didn't have DRs is because the audit team had one of those rare once every three years where they're on site two weeks in a row. So the audit team rolled right out of Portland and came up here. Everybody just wanted to go home. Like We knew you were low risk, so we didn't ask a lot of questions. It's like it had nothing to do with how well prepared you were. It was about the audit team and their workload. You catch them at the end of one of those marathon runs where they've been doing a lot. They're humans. Again, coming back to that. Yeah. And if I were to put a theme on this about, you know, why are they asking for so much evidence or in the inverse, why not enough more? Um, it, 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 it's, it's based on that, that human factor. Um, the decisions made about the risk of the organization before the audit or, you know, how that particular audit woke up that morning. Uh, so being prepared is the best way of doing it. Uh, having strong processes and procedures that have compliance, performance, evidence outputs is going to win the day and have that built into your overall standard operating procedures uh, where it is it's it's just part of how you do business um, is going to is going to help su be successful. It may not even come up during one audit, but three years down the line or six years down the line, it may just very well and then save your bacon. Or if you get into a, a an operational outage that gets into investigations, you have it all right there. You're ready to go. It helps your case on all in all fronts. Well, gentlemen, I think we've come up with time. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation and topics and uh, on this particular topic and uh, uh, your insights. And uh, uh, for those that are listening and still with us at this point, I appreciate you uh, um, being with us. And, and if you have any questions about audits and data requests, RFIs, um, you know, how to generate procedures for performance evidence, we're your people. We live it and breathe it. And uh, we'd love to talk to you. So thank you for joining us and uh, have a good day. Thank you, Steve, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, all. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. 
If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.